This is my prayer in the desert When all that's within me feels dry This is my prayer in my hunger and need My God is the God who provides This is my prayer in the fire In weakness or trial or pain There is a faith fruit more than gold So refine me, Lord, through the flame I will bring praise, I will bring praise No weapon formed against me shall remain I will rejoice, I will declare God is my victory
There's a new sun rising, a new sun rising. Lift it up. There's a new sun rising, a new sun rising. Here. There's a new sun rising, a new sun rising. There's a new sun rising, a new sun rising. Woke up in darkness, surrounded by silence. Oh, where, where have I gone? I woke to reality, losing its grip on me. Oh, where, where have I gone? See the light. I can see the light before I see the sunrise. You called and you shouted, broke through my deafness. Now I'm breathing in, breathing out. I'm alive again. You shattered my darkness, washed away my.
God, we just give you praise. We thank you for who you are and that we, you are just so worthy of who, 
of, of, of just all of our praise. And so we thank you for everyone here, for those watching online, um, those maybe joining later this week. But whatever, God, just bring us together in your Holy Spirit. And for that, we give you praise in Christ's name. Everybody says, amen. amen. All right, greet somebody around you. Tell them hi as our children go to Shoreline Sunday school. like it looks like one of those clips good morning, morning. try it again good morning. good morning one more time good morning. good morning there we go somebody's away good seeing you here today it is fall in case you forgot um, it is, um, and so there's some cool things about it. There's also some non-cool things. But anyway, we're glad to be here today, worship the Lord, and connect. So if you're visiting, number one, if you're visiting, welcome. Um, we're not going to do one of those things and bring you up and do a hazing ritual or anything of those things. I always loved that when I was younger, when they would say, um, when they would say to you, they'd say, um, oh, is there anybody visitors here? And they'd say, please stand up. So you, you're like, oh, great, you know, here we go. Uh, we don't do that here. I still remember one time when we went to this church and with my dad, and they said, oh, we're so great to have the Reverend Connie, my good friend, Reverend Connie Cohe, and they named him the wrong name, so he was really good friends, um, so, and of course, dad didn't live that one down, his best friends, okay, but we, we do welcome you here, hopefully you received the card when you came in, if not, please check out here, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and get you one, because we have a small gift for you being here, um, if you were here before and did not get that, please go ahead, fill out that card. We, um, we, we're glad that you're here, and we're, we know that God brought you here for this purpose. So um, if you want to become a member of Haven, here's your last chance for 2015. Um, so uh, we are going to have this meeting after church uh, for uh, if you're interested in becoming a member. Now, by just staying after and doing it, it doesn't lock you in. We will let you out of the building. Um, what it does do is tell you that, it tells you a little bit more about Haven, how we came into existence, and also what our mission and our goal is. And if you feel like you want to be part of that and connect to that, we'd love for you to do that as well. So um, please go ahead and connect right after church today. Also, um, Disciple Bible Study will begin this Thursday. This Thursday. So um, I know Debbie's here somewhere. I just saw her. Um, she disappeared on your feet. Yeah, always, you know, you need a tracking device. But she has um, many the, the disciple books from those who had signed up and paid for Thursday. And we also have about four or five more. Um, if you're interested, um, it, it will be meeting on Thursday evenings. And it's, if you've always wanted to go through the Bible, learn some more, it's a great opportunity. I don't care whether you're um, a member. I don't care whether you just slide, slid in this week and you said, hey, I'd just like to know more. That's, it's a great opportunity, and we have the manuals. Um, and so if you'd like to take part of that, that would be great to have you um, here. Also, uh, Trunk or Treat, you can see this insert. It's this Friday. Um, is Bobby or anybody here that needs Kate? Okay, they're passing them around there for people to sign up. Um, if you want to donate your car trunk, I got to say that. We don't want anybody to donate your regular trunks, like an old 
thing or your rear end or whatever. Um, but we want to go ahead and make sure that you, um, it's a great time. You can decorate it, have a good time, and the kids will um, have a good time. Invite people. I, um, I saw it on Facebook and shared it, so I'm hoping other people come. And so we need you to um, help out with that if you're willing to. Um, and you saw when you walked in, those of you who walked in, uh, the middle door and came this way. You saw um, we have a table set up, and I'll tell you why. It's for Operation Christmas Child, and so Melinda's going to go ahead and show a brief video on Operation Christmas Child. Across this world we gather for one purpose. This is the first time they have got the gifts ever in their lifetime. This is perfect. The gospel is being shared, shoe gift is being given up, and we believe this is making a great impact in the lives of these children. Every voice raised with the same message. I want to encourage you boys and girls, trust Jesus. And our hearts are united. People are motivated. They are ready to go to every child. For 20 years, Operation Christmas Child volunteers have traveled to the ends of the earth. We went through rivers, we went through very narrow roads, and it's worth every minute of it. To deliver a simple yet powerful gift. A gift carries a strong message. That is a gospel in action. Each box shares a message of love. They're not just shoe boxes, they're miracles. They're landing in people's hands that would never dream about it. Every gift points to the true meaning of Christmas, God's Son, Jesus Christ. This is a simple demonstration of God's love. Now, 100 million shoe boxes later, we are seeing lives changed. Gift boxes has opened door for gospel. This is the celebration. Shoe boxes! All nations all tribes. This is the time to get ready. We want more and more and more of these boxes. Bring them in. This is the time to reach the next 100 million. All right, and how do we do that? We do that with individuals here. Um, one of the coolest things that you can see, it initially started with just regular shoe boxes, and you can do that. But a lot of times people will go to the dollar store or whatever and buy those little plastic ones, and they can utilize that also to carry water and do other kinds of things. So um, that's a great way. My kids get really excited every year when they get a chance to go to the um, dollar store or Walmart or wherever and try to cram this little, as much as they can, in this little shoe box so that they can have this. And kids who are receiving this who have nothing are getting these gifts on Christmas. They're opening them up, and many of them are giving their lives to Christ. So it's more than just a present. It connects them to Christ. So um, do we have anything else to mention to that? So how, many, how many people participated in this before? Okay, great. Um, last year, it was amazing. We set a, a goal for ourselves for like 100 boxes, and we got 133 boxes. So this year, we're setting a goal for us for 150 boxes. And there's a lot of different ways that you can participate. You can pack a box, as Jack just described, which is just awesome. And there's um, packets outside, but you can also do some things online. And Liz, raise your hand. 
This is Liz, she's the expert on this, so you can ask her anything that you need to know about this. The other way that you can, um, can help is you can also um, donate prizes or gifts that the Sunday School packs boxes. So boxes and gifts, if you wanna just start collecting things and drop them off here on the 15th of November, they will be packing those as well. And then one other thing is, to it's each box has a shipping fee, so if you don't want to pack a box and you don't want to buy some gifts and you just would like to give a little donation to go toward the, the shipping of the boxes, that would be great as well. And one last thing. Um, this year, the Adventure Aquarium in Camden has partnered with um, Operation Christmas Child, and they've done a church challenge. And for, every, um, for all the boxes that churches pick up, and we signed up for it, um, they'll be giving away free tickets for children and families to go to the aquarium. So it's no, there's no limit, but the more we get, the more that we can benefit families in our community. So that's another good incentive. So our goal this year is 150 boxes. So we look forward to everybody participating in that. Thanks. Right. Good. Yes. I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll, con I'll connect with those in Disciples. Also. Um, all right. So, um, so yeah, it's a great, great um, deal that we've been doing, and we've been doing that for a long time. Also, the other thing, Thanksgiving boxes um, for the foods. You can see them between um, November 1st and the 22nd. Um, has all the listed information there if you need some more uh, information. Donna, anything particular? Okay, so our challenge was 30 to 40 boxes. We only have 16 signed up, so please go ahead and sign up. We want to make sure that um, people uh, go ahead and have a great Thanksgiving in our own community, and those are, are great things. Um, you can see the fundraiser for the Cecil County Pregnancy Center on November 1st and Parish Foundation November 15th. By all means, we, d we want to connect and have that happen as well. All right? Um, prayer requests. Um, we have one prayer request today for... Um, Pam Grable asked for prayers for eldest son James Burns. Is asking for guidance and knowledge on God's will over some major life choices, all right, as well as atonement. So we want to go ahead and ask for prayers for him and that family, okay? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. We thank you for all that you've done for us and in everything that you do for us. God, we just give you praise. Um, there are times in our lives where we just kind of feel lost, Times in our life where we're not sure what tomorrow holds or what even today holds. And so, God, um, we just ask that you be with us, guide us, and direct us. Give us direction in our lives. Help us to remain focused on what your will is, not our own desires. And open our eyes that we can see what you see. God, there are so many prayer concerns and so many needs we saw at this time of year when um, churches around the world get together and go ahead and help with Operation Christmas Child and many begin to collect more things in the local community. Ultimately, the goal is, God, that we do this not out of, uh, out of a look at me attitude, but we do this in order so that others may look to you. And so during the remainder of this time together, God, we want to start with us. We want to start with, hey, today, God, I want to look to you. I want, I want your will to guide and direct me. I want you to lead me. Be with my family. Be with my friends. For God, you've given us so many things, so many wonderful blessings in our lives. And yet sometimes we take it for granted and we just move on or we become complacent in life. But God, you've given us these gifts not to just store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but God, treasuring for ourselves treasures in heaven 
by passing that on and by meeting the needs of your children and your people here around the world. And so whether we're watching online or whether we're here today, whether we're part of church online or part of church right here, God, we just pray that you will find us to be cheerful givers, that we'll give with a grateful heart, we'll give to meet the needs that you have set before us for our community and our larger world. And then ultimately people won't say, hey, look at that that church, but they'll say, hey, look at what Christ has done. And so God, for that we give you praise. Just move mightily and put your Holy Spirit upon these gifts. Multiply them and use them here and in your kingdom all around the world. In Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen. the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you, all to I count it all as lost For the sake of knowing you For the glory of your name To know the lasting joy Even sharing in your pain And I surrender all to you
this is a pretty profound message to me. Philippians 3.1, New International Version. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. Philippians 3, 7 through 14, New International Version. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of, <clears throat> of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, I have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Amen. 200 people have been used in a new dental experiment. The theory that dental uh -huh. floss can keep one What are you laughing about? It's funny when they do that. Out of the 200 people it's funny when they do what? Tested, it's funny when they do that. Am I missing something? Dad, you're watching it wrong. A mass accident occurred on State Highway. As a truck carrying paint. You can all flip over and lay on your backs and watch me today, see if it's a little bit more entertaining. All right, good morning. I hope everybody's having a great day and a great week um, today. Um, one of the things I also wanted to lift up in prayer is uh, uh, Dot Logan. Uh, many of you are on the prayer list. Found out that she um, had a fall this week. Um, she's doing well, right? Everything's good. I saw her the other day, and um, She's doing well, um, more embarrassed than anything knowing Dot, and she's just like, she's right back up and rolling, um, but uh, keep her in prayers as she's got to check back in with the doctors this week just to make sure everything's okay. She said, I just got through this broken wrist, and here I go again, so, but she's, uh, well, she does have a black eye, she's uh, like right through here, right? She hit right here, and uh, so a lot of blood and stuff, but she's, um, she's doing well. She's, she said, She's pretty, she said, I'm, I'm tougher than that. So, so that's Dot, but she's doing well. So we're going to continue to lift her in her prayers. 
All right, today we, if you're joining with us today for the first time, today we are going, um, we're in the midst of a series, the w- a third week of a series on the book of Phili- Philippians, um, and today we are going to talk, the title is called Seesaw, and um, no, we're not going to a playground, but um, we're going to talk about seeing things. Now, how many of you remember a relatively old, older movie, I think it was 90s, um, that had Bruce Willis and a young, what is it, Haley Joe Osment? And it was called The Sixth Sense. Anybody remember that? It was kind of a creepy little movie. Um, as it kind of fooled you throughout the whole movie. Um, and then all of a sudden, you can see that little kid with his blanket up near him. And he made that weird little creepy sound. And he's talking to Bruce Willis and he says, I see dead people. You remember that? All right. Didn't that creep you out? Okay. If you've seen him growing up, it'll creep you out more. But anyway. Um, <laughs> But anyway, that sign, I see dead people. So I want to share with you something. I see things that most of you don't see. Yes, I see, my daughter said what? I see dead people. I see messy rooms. There we go. Um, (laughs) Right, honey? There we go. All right. Um, (laughs) If you can come to my house, you'll see that too. Um, But I see things that most of you don't see. I really do. And here's something else. Here's the reality. You see things that I don't see. Because one of the things I want to share with you, your first key thought on your bulletin today, we're hitting it early, is simply this. What you've experienced determines what you see. What you've experienced in life determines what you see in life. Now for me, ever since I was a little kid, I always had this love for sports. Always did. So a lot of times, if anybody's heard me preach, you know I bring that in. I see stuff that way. I see things like a baseball field. I see things like a football field. I'll make illustrations to that. I have a friend who's a coach and also a history teacher. And when he's in the classroom, he'll say, he'll be talking about history. And he'll say, you know, it's like when you have a defensive line and you're running a blitz and you're doing this. And all the people who have nothing to do with sports are going, huh? And then when he's on the football field, he said, you know, it's like the battle of the bulge when you come here and D-Day. And all the people who have no clue about history go, huh? But see, he understands those things because he's seen that in his life. And what he's experienced is how he sees things. And I'm the same way. If somebody is so musical in life that everything is music, you see things that way too. And you start to tell me things, and I'm like, you say it's like a coda. And I'm like, huh? Is that the guy, little green guy on Star Wars? You know, no, that's Yoda. Okay, I got you. But we, we see things differently because of what we experience. And one of the things I've learned, it's the same thing in church and in church leadership. I've been in the church world so long, I've, this next year I will have been in the, a pastor for 20 years. And before that, I was a PK, a preacher's kid. So my entire life, I have seen the church world. And so by doing that, when I go into a church, I probably go into it very differently than you do. I go into a church, and when I go in, I can pretty quickly get the environment of what's going on in that church by seeing who's doing what, by seeing how it's going, by listening and hearing things behind the scenes that I probably shouldn't hear. I can tell what's going on, and I can get a vibe really, really fast where many of you may just come and say, oh, church, boom, and plop right in. It's just because I've been ingrained in it, and I see it from a different perspective than many of you. Now, some of you are the people, like when my car breaks down on the road, you know what I do? Pop the hood, open it up, and I look. 
I don't have a clue what I'm looking at, but that's what you're supposed to do, right? Car breaks down, you pop open the, the hood and go, hmm. And you may say, I'll check the dipstick, because I know where that is. I'll check the coolant, that water thing. I'll check that. Yep. Hmm. Better call somebody, correct? Oh, maybe I better check the gas gauge. But we, we do that in life. Now, others of you are the ones, you pop it open and you say, oh, I see what, what's there, the flux capacitor. There we go. We're bringing in, bringing in uh, back to the future this week. Um, that's what's not working. And you'll, you'll, you need some more gigawatts or whatever you say. That's the kind of thing that you do. You understand that stuff. I don't have a clue. My mechanic has been my mechanic since I was age 16. I don't have to think about anybody else. Um, he's going to be 100 years old, still working on my cars. And I trust him with everything. He, he told my dad one time, my dad had a, a car, a Dodge Omni. Dad and I were talking about this. And Curtis says to him, oh, uh, you're your high altitude capacitor is what's causing a problem. Dad goes, what? You're making that up. He said, no, I'm not. It's for, if you live in Colorado, they have this thing that regulates the high altitudes. Dad said, I've never heard of that because my dad didn't know much about cars either. It's natural. It passes down, okay? So we see this in life. You, I open the hood and see a bunch of metal. You open the hood and you may see several different parts. The reality is that some of you don't see things like I do because you haven't experienced what I have. And I don't see things the way you have because I haven't experienced what you have. Because what we experience determines what we see. The Apostle Paul, as I've mentioned over the last few weeks, had planted this church, had started this church. And it's about 10 years in, and he had a special love for this church, and they had a special connection with him. And because of his experiences in life, He's writing from prison, a Roman prison. He sees things they don't see. And there's two main things that I saw right off the bat that Paul experienced more than most people. One of the things that I believe Paul began to, on a, on a frontline area, experience more than others is the sinfulness of humanity. Paul said, when, it, when he talks about sin, he says, hey, you know what? I am the chief of all sinners. Doesn't that make you feel good? Makes me feel good. It means that Paul's always first in line on that. But he says, hey, I persecuted and killed Christians. That makes me pretty bad. He said, guess what? I've also seen sinful men because when I had this conversion and I began to preach Christ, I, I was beaten and I was tortured and I was treated horrifically. Matter of fact, right now as I'm writing this letter to this church at Philippi, I am in prison, in a Roman prison, chained by four different soldiers throughout the day for 24 hours. His experience is firsthand, and in the deepest depths of his heart, he has seen the sin of humanity. And yet, at the, also at the same time, he experienced some of the greatest goodness of God because of that suffering that people have never seen in their lives. Paul got to see, I am the chief of sinners, but more importantly, he recognized that he wanted to help this Philippian church see things a different way because some things weren't working in the church. They were beginning to have some conflicts. They were beginning to have some things creep into the church that should not have been there. And in previous weeks, we learned that he's writing from a Roman prison. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but he ended up there as a prisoner. Some of us would call that a horrible situation. Like think if somebody said to you, hey, 
I've got a trip for you to Mexico. He goes, it's going to be good. You might sound, sound like it's good. But you're going to go stay in a Mexican prison. How many signing up for that? Paul looked at that as an opportunity. So much so that he starts in verse 31, which says, finally, my brothers. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. Say that with me. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, this is a phrase next week we are going to camp out on. We're going to be there. We're going to, if you're feeling kind of down, awesome. Perfect time to be here next week. And listen to what he says again. He said, it is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, as it is a safeguard for you. You see, Paul is in prison, chained to uh, some of the top guards, and he's saying, woo, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's me, I'm going to be writing you a letter Get me out of here. Where are you, God? I thought I was going to come here and preach. I, I, had, I thought we were going to have a, a Billy Graham crusade right here in Rome. But I'm in prison, and this stinks. Anybody else like that? Okay. And so, but he doesn't. He said, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write that to you. Why? Because it's a safeguard. Because Paul realized that some were vulnerable in this church to the lies of the enemy. Because what he experienced, he saw the dangers of some, um, of some different people and how they wanted to tear down different churches and this part in the Philippian, uh, the Philippian church. And he couldn't just let them sit there and see with the eyes that they see. But he wanted them to see a different way to be on guard because if they were rejoicing in the Lord, which it seems like some of this stuff wasn't happening, that they would be able to see and it would be a safeguard or protection from them. Because in the early church, there was a problem. Every time you have a movement of God, you also have a movement of Satan. Every time you have a movement of God, like for instance, you had the 12 disciples, right? Anybody remember them? Yet within the 12 disciples, you had one whose name was Judas. You had two. The second guy, his name was Peter. Simon Peter, who denied and cursed Jesus, ever even knowing him. Satan at work in the 12 closest people to Jesus when he was on the earth. In early Christianity, it was no different than when the church started to move and grow and the gospel was first taken to the Jews. And you can see that in Acts chapter 1 through 7. You can see how they took that to the Jewish people. But then there became persecution and the gospel, then they began to spread to the people known as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were an interesting group of people. You had Jews, you had Gentiles, and then you had like a mix of the Samaritans. When the Jewish people were in captivity, they intermarried with some of their captors and they, became, they created what the Jewish people believe a kind of mongrel mutt race. And they were worse than Gentiles because they had the promise, but they intermarried and caused this problem. So there was this great, this great uh, divide between them. And so you can see how this occurred. Now, if you want to check in Acts chapter 10, there's this incredible, uh, even in Acts chapter 8, they talk about it's okay to take it to the Gentiles as Peter and Paul and others began to, but there still became this discrimination that existed to the Gentiles in the church. There was a group of Jewish leaders that were saying, no, you must become a Jew first. You must become a, a Jew first. And the big argument was ready. You ready, men? Here we go. The big argument was over the concept of circumcision. In that time, the Gentiles were not circumcised. But the Jews were. 
And so the argument was from these people that became known as the Judaizers was that in order to become a Christian first, you had to go through the Jewish law prospect and go through um, circumcision. Now, imagine trying to sell that sucker today. For those of you who aren't circumcised, if you want to become a Christian, just come to Jesus just as you are. But when you come down, we've got a knife here for you. You ready? Who's excited about that? Everybody form a line. Men, you line up? Interesting? I feel so. You thought church attendance was bad before. My gosh, wait till you get to that one. Do you love Jesus? Well, come on down. Let's circumcise you. You're like, did I sign up for this today? It's in the Bible, trust me, all right? You see, there's a tension going on here. You know, it's not about circumcision anymore, but there's all kinds of other tensions that we have now. As we look here, the question becomes, can a Gentile become a Christian without following the Jewish laws first? And they, they did, as, as we like to do, they grouped together and they had a conference. And it was in Acts 15, you can read about it. And they came to the point and said, Gentiles don't have to become uh, Jews first. You know, it's only about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what's going on anywhere else in your body. It's about what Paul called, we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision of your hearts. And that's the heart that needs to have that hard shell of, of hatred and, and sin removed in order for the love of Christ to come in. All you need is Christ. And they begin to go back out and share the gospel. But yet, something happened. There was a group called the Judaizers who said, no, 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 we don't care what they say. We know that we're right, and they have to go ahead and do that. So Paul would come into a place, he'd teach about Jesus and coming to Christ just as you are, and that let him change your heart and your life. And after he would leave, here came the Judaizer and said, Paul did some good stuff, but let me tell you one other thing. You need to become Jewish. You've got to follow these laws. You've got to go ahead and have this. Line up, man, here we go. And this was going on. And it was, it was perverting and changing the gospel in a way that caused this big conflict and church division. And so because of what Paul had experienced, he saw some dangers that were coming toward the Philippian church that they didn't see, and he wants them to be aware of them, and he provides three dangers for them and also for us in our spiritual journey today. And the first one is this. You need to see the dangers of legalism. You need to see the dangers of legalism. What is legalism? Legalism is substituting rules for relationship. That's simple. Substituting rules for relationship. Now, they can be all kinds of different kinds of rules. Some of them can even be biblical rules. Like, it's very interesting how we pick certain biblical rules to go ahead and apply to people the, that we think are easy for us. But when there's those that are turned back around to us, we have some issues in struggling with obeying them. We, we like, no matter where we are, we like to pull rules into us and we'll use the Bible in order to condemn and to bring hatred to people rather than loving them as Christ Love, I, I challenge you to look through the book of Leviticus this week and tell me if you can do it. I challenge you to just start with the Ten Commandments and see if you can do it. You know, um, a lot of those things. I challenge you to go ahead and, and add to the Ten Commandments what Jesus said when he said that if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I challenge you to see that he says if you have hatred towards someone, you've already committed murder. 
Guess what? Look around you. Look at the people around you. Go ahead. Not just me. Look around you. You're nervous now. Hey, you're looking at a bunch of murderous adulterers. Hallelujah. <laughs> According to Jesus. It could be the Jewish rules. It could be man-made rules. I am often amazed by how different denominations and churches like to put this weighty, weighty legalism on us and people follow it and you can't move and there's no grace and it's all legal, legal, legal and everything on you and there's no grace and it's painful. And yet we follow this and you know what we find out? No matter what rules you put on, it's weighty and it's impossible to follow them. I don't get it. Or rules of the church, whether it be Catholic or Methodist or Baptist. We've got all kinds of rules. I'll never forget the time when I had a job um, about a year or so out of college. And I was uh, sitting there talking with somebody. And we had this great commonality because we were both Christians. And about day two, he began to ask different kinds of questions. Um, those, those, what about baptism? How old do you have to be to be baptized? And I shared with him, I think, you're wrong. You're wrong. And this was a guy who was tatted all up all over his place. And I could have gone back to Leviticus and said, tattoo, bad man. Right? <laughs> I can back it up. But meanwhile, what he wasn't recognizing, and I wasn't when we were getting into our legalistic discussion, is that we're both sinners that deserve the pit of hell, but it's by the grace of God that we can call ourselves children of God. And so... That's where we get off. So beware of legalism because we all have it somewhere. If you don't believe me, just walk and talk with people for a while and you'll start to get your ire up. That churchiness will come back into you and you won't know what to do. It's saying that we, want, we, would, rather have a, a, we would rather have God in law and in legality and rules, but it's often interesting we want them for ourselves. Many years ago, I did a sermon that I was talking about Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount, and, he, and I grabbed a big board. And Jesus says, why is it that we look at the speck of sawdust in our brother's eye, but we have a board, a plank, a two-by-four? Walk around with a two-by-four. Just hold it up to your eye for a day and see if people aren't paying attention to you. But one of the reasons why we can't see the board in our own eyes is because we're too busy looking out of one eye at everybody else's sawdust. And it's wrong. Listen to what Paul says about these people. He says, watch out for those dogs. I think it's very interesting he uses that terminology because the Judaizers were saying, no, we don't want the Samaritans, which they called dogs. Dogs weren't like, oh, fluffy, we love them. Dogs sometimes, still today in the Middle East, are wild. And sometimes many people who are in the military have to actually shoot them because it's dangerous for them. All right? So they're not like we have our little one where we dress up and put little costumes on and then we feed them and sleep with them and take pictures with them. And that, no, that's an Americanized thing. They are wild. They will chew your neck off in a heartbeat with no problem. And he said, watch out. And that's what they called the Samaritans. And now Paul is smacking them back by saying, watch out for those dogs, meaning the Judaizers, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. What do you think he's talking about? Here he is in prison and he's calling them out. Even though they think they're sharing the gospel of Christ, he calls them mutilators of the flesh and dogs. Not a nice thing to say to people. And then he says this, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship the God, not in flesh, but we who worship the Lord by the spirit of God. 
who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in our flesh. He said, that's great. This flesh is fantastic. That's awesome. That's what he gave us. But that is all going to die. What is more important is what Christ is doing inside. It's about what Christ is doing inside. We put no confidence in being right in our human efforts. It's not about how good I am or how our human efforts or our behaviors are. And then Paul goes to this thing, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Here's what he's saying now. You guys think you're good? In other words, you think you got initials after your name? Let me tell you how awesome I am. Put on your seatbelt, Paul says. I'm going to tell you how awesome I am. And he begins to go ahead and share some of the things that he does. Paul decides to say, let's compare. Let's compare how we are. Look at what he says here. He said, I have such reasons for this. Here he gives his religious resume. You want to hear this? He said, here I am. If anyone else thinks that he has a reason to put confidence in flesh, I have more. Here's what Paul says. You want to put up? All right, let's play. Bam, mic drop. Here he goes. He picks it up. He says, I got the mic, and here I am. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Bam, I'm a Jew. Then he says, I was part of the tribe of Benjamin. That's one of the big 12. Anybody else? He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I got that lineage in my family. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I went after the church while you guys were sitting home. And he said, as for legalistic, I was righteous and I was faultless. Mic drop, bam. Anybody else? He says, he's like Michael Jackson. I'm bad. All right. He had the right birth. He was part of the elite in Judaism. He got all the rules right. In our world, it would be equivalent like saying, my daddy's Billy Graham and my mom's Mother Teresa. I know that's got theological implications. Just go with it, all right? I was christened as a baby. I even had one of them cute little, I'm a guy, but I still had a dress on. It was awesome. I went to Christian school. I got a master's of divinity. I went to a Christian college. I had all those pins from Sunday school that went down here. Perfect attendance. Paul had it all perfectly good, born in the right place, had the right behavior. A Pharisee of Pharisees. And you know what's interesting about the Pharisees? The Pharisees didn't have just 12 commandments. They had 613 that they had to obey. You thought the 12 were hard? How many like 613? Let me give you just an example of some of those. You cannot eat an egg laid by a chicken on the Sabbath. Somehow that probably ties into Chick-fil-A, but I'm not going there. Um, If you get bitten by a mosquito on the Sabbath, you can't scratch it because that would be work. Yeah, enjoy that one. You just kind of like go, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, okay. Here you go. You guys are going to like this, you vain people. You people who like selfies. You cannot look into the mirror because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out. That was a rule. Isn't it ridiculous? And the list goes on and on and on. How do these things have you become closer to God? Simple answer, they don't. Still today in Israel, if you drive down a certain road and there are Hasidim there, they will yell at you. Yelling is not work, I guess. But driving is. You might say this, a legalistic approach. I go to church on Sunday and I find a church service on Sunday night too. I pray for one hour, and if you pray for 55 minutes, I'm more righteous than you. I read my, I read my Bible through in a year. 
I only watch G-rated movies. I don't even watch The Passion of the Christ because it got R-rated. I only listen to religious music and I don't dare bring up secular music. I worship as Christ did with an organ. Figure that one out. All right. I have had an experience in my life, so many churchiness in my life. I spoke one place one time at a homecoming from a church I never was part of or never was around. It's an interesting thing. But I was a guest speaker, let's call it that. And I had a lady who came out and she told me, is your name Cohen? I said, yes. She goes, isn't that Jewish? I said, yes. She goes, oh, I guess we like you anyway. <laughs> I said, yeah, thank you. All right. I've had people, I had, um, when I, when I was leaving one church, there was one guy who just didn't like me because I look, looked too young. There was one lady who sat in a pew, and she sat there, and she said, um, she, somebody said, what do you think of the new preacher? She said, he's all right, but I think he belongs in Dagsboro instead of Lewis. I was like, okay, I don't know what, what's going on in Dagsboro. I don't know if that's good or bad. But then a couple months after she got used to me, after I grow on you like mold, she, she said, oh, I think he should be bishop. And I was like, oh, my gosh, don't give that to me. That's horrible. So she switched just by having a relationship with me. You see, when you, you picture your pastor where he's supposed to come out looking like the pontiff and he comes out looking like this, it's a little bit different. You know what I mean? And that will jolt you when you see this, when he comes out. And it certainly did. It certainly did several times. I had one person who was supposed to be part of a parish pastor relations committee who was supposed to be the person that had my back that was also the liaison, and he hated me, despised me, couldn't stand me. Feeling was a little bit mutual, just to let you know. I'm confessing here. Um, but because if you experienced what I've experienced, you would know too. And, and so this person, when I finally did, was leaving that church and moving on, he was giving an announcement about the next pastor that was coming in there. And he said, and he stopped it. And then what are you saying? And he said, and this pastor will wear a robe. I was like, anybody, anybody want to share that too? Um, what's he got on underneath? You know, I don't know what's going on. But... Why? That was important to him. Because God forbid that you may have somebody preach that isn't wearing a robe or stole or somebody that isn't, you know, using the right translation, as I believe, of the Bible. Legalism is killing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has from the beginning, and it's still here today. We've got to put a stop to a churchiness. What does legalism do? It leads to false guilt. There are so many Christians that are running around beating themselves up by saying, I failed. I'm no good. I didn't cross the T's and dot the I's. I wore this to church instead of wearing that. I've done something wrong. And I got something to tell you. Here's a rule of thumb. If you ever feel guilty, it's not of God. If you feel convicted, it is. If God gives you, if you feel horrible and miserable and I shouldn't have done it and I couldn't have done it, that's from Satan. If you get this feeling that what I did was wrong and I've got to change and not do that, that's from God. You understand? Jesus didn't, the woman caught in adultery, he didn't say, you evil, you vile, you do this, you shouldn't be alive, I shouldn't have saved you, I should have taken you out. No, he said, go and what? Sin no more. Change it. That's conviction. Everybody got the difference there? Because a lot of us live life as God is in the sky waiting to part our hair with a big lightning bolt. And if that's your view of God, that is wrong and you got that from somebody who's legalistic. The next thing it does, it leads to false confidence. I'm better than you all because I've checked all the checks. I've crossed the teeth. I've dotted the I's. I'm in the good church. I worship uh, like Jesus did. I'm I'm, uh, right. Everybody else is wrong. I have the right version of the Bible. You have the wrong one. Doesn't this sound familiar? 
What does Paul say? Watch out for those dogs. Be careful. Because Paul says, if you've experienced what I've experienced, then you begin to see what I've seen. There are false teachers that will take the gospel and they'll add their own flavors and their own desires. And guess what? It will harm you. Don't get sucked in by legalism and guilt because the scripture says there is no condemnation. Say with me, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Some of you grew up this way and others of you are stuck there and you need to be released from that. Others get this prideful arrogance that I'm better than everybody else. I would go to that church because, I wouldn't go to that church because this, this, this. Or my church is the true church because of this. You ever hear that? That's a great uh, buzzer for that. Number two. Number two, see the dangers of the world's distraction. See the dangers of the world's distraction. Don't let the things of this world distract you. Think about it. If you're like me, I am easily distracted by the things that don't even matter. Like, for instance, have you ever, like, been, anybody ever bought something off of eBay? And you know, like, you're coming down, and that other jerk comes in at the last second, or last couple seconds, you're like, no, 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 I'm going to get it. You're like, we got to, but dad, my arm's cut, and it's bleeding. Shut up, I got to win this. It's a shirt from 1935. I need it. And somebody, no, he got me again. Click, 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 like this, and then you don't get it, and you're like, Dad, I'm dying here. And you're like, okay, uh, wait a second. There's another one. You know, you keep doing it. What does it matter? If you're like me, my house, my basement, my, my uh, shed is full of crap. That makes no difference. Some of you have heard me talk about the greatest Christmas gift I got. I should have brought him today. Maybe I'll bring him next week. Charlie McCarthy. Anybody remember Charlie McCarthy? He's a dummy. And I wanted Charlie McCarthy more than anything because I was going to be the world's greatest ventriloquist. And I still couldn't do it. No, it doesn't work. And I could not wait. So if you want to see Charlie McCarthy, I'll bring him next week. And maybe he'll sing praise and worship. Maybe he'll preach. Who knows? <laughs> you, you see a dummy every week, it'll be another one. Okay, so I wanted this. I even, I even found the present in mom and dad's closet and opened it up and was like, yes, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then I act out on Christmas, oh, you got me that? You know, that kind of thing. I played with Charlie McCarthy for about a week and I found out ventriloquism is hard and it's ridiculous. You've got to learn how to talk with your mouth shut. That, who does that? Charlie McCarthy has sat in my basement or an attic and he's gone place to place to place with me and I still can't be a ventriloquist but I still got him. So much so that I talked about it one time and a lady brought me another one. I got two dummies now. I can't do anything with either one. But you all have that same thing in your life. We get so wrapped up in the things of this world that we miss out on the great moments that God has for us because we're so distracted by things that don't matter. Listen to what he says in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost how many things? All things. I consider them rubbish. Say rubbish. rubbish. Say it again. Rubbish. Look at the person next to you, throw in an English accent to feel really intelligent. Rubbish. Okay. 
Or you can go like this, rubbish. Okay, here we go. Rubbish that I may gain Christ. The Greek word for rubbish, you were missing out on Greek words today, weren't you? Scubala. Yeah. Okay. Scubala. It means this. Waste. Dung. Poop. Scubala happens. What Paul is saying, we make it nice, we say garbage. Garbage. They wouldn't have poop in the Bible. Yeah, they do. Paul is saying, all the stuff in this world is crap. It's junk. It's poo. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus. I consider everything lost. Everything I thought that was so important, it isn't. It's just poo. And you know what we all need? We all need near-death experiences. I'm going to share this with you. Because one of the most frustrating things in my life over the last couple years is taking children to school on time. Anybody say amen? amen? All right. Doesn't matter what time they're up, you're always running late. They blame me too, but guess what? It's not me, it's them. Because my time's always right. Hallelujah. All right. But the other day I was griping. And Miguel's in the car. I'm griping, griping, griping. We're getting ready to go. I'm going to be late, blah, 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 like this. And I started to look both ways, started to pull out. And I'm pulling out, and all of a sudden here comes this car. I'm like, ah! Right? I had a chance. If I, to, I had to gun it and hope I got around it. And guess what? I'm here today because I did. And I think Emigel said, mm, we almost died. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be a good way to go to school. Die, I got other ways that I'd like to go, God, not being hit by a truck on the way to school. Guess what? Us being late at that moment meant nothing to me compared to the fact that I was still living. We all need that in life. To realize that when we have these moments in life, we realize simply this, life is short. It's fleeting. You're here today and gone tomorrow. That's life. Very quick. Suddenly, worldly distractions aren't that important when we recognize life. In verse 9, here's what it says. And being found in Christ, having a, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. My prayer is that you grow to know him above all the rubbish in life. Number three, everybody good? Number three, see the dangers of being spiritually complacent. We should be satisfied with what we have in life, but never satisfied with what we've done for the glory of God. We should be content with the material possessions, but never where we are spiritually and using our gifts for the glory of God. One of the largest problems in the church today is spiritual complacency. Spiritual complacency in our marriages, we end up not caring. We're raising spiritually complacent kids and we're more concerned about their performance on an athletic field or on stage than their own spiritual development. We are spiritually about being spiritually complacent in our giving and yet not thinking twice about giving to the Lord in our tithes or offerings or our service. We end up in times being down. I can't tell you the number of calls, texts, emails, and things that I get about people who are feeling down and being down, yet thinking God is a fast, through, fast food drive through that I get my quick fix that I can go for a couple more months. It's not about that. It's about an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Will God be there? Yeah. 
but he wants to spend some time with you. How, how successful would your relationship be if they were all like drive through in the way we treated God? Paul says, watch out. Don't become spiritually complacent. From house arrest, he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on. Everybody say press on. Everybody say press on. Press on. For what? What does he press on for? To take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know, so what he's saying here is he's, he's got somebody, he's saying, come here, come here for a second with me. Hey, what he's saying here, George, is he's saying, I'm Jesus right now. So, so he's saying, just sit here and go, okay, God, I love you. He's saying, take hold of me. Take hold of, take hold of me. There we go. Take hold of me because Christ took hold of him. And when Christ takes hold of you, ain't nothing going to take you out. And so, it, but you got to reach out and take hold of him. There's a great book by a guy named Tommy Tenney called The God Chasers. We are the God waiters. We wait for God to come. But have you really sought out God and chased him down in your life? Hunt him down. Hunt him down. But here's what Paul says. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself to already have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and actually gives you a couple things here. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I, what? Press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A couple things there. Forgetting what is behind. Many people are stagnant and complacent in their faith because you can't forget what happened in the past. I was part of a church board one time where they were griping and complaining and complaining and griping about something that happened. They were going and they were talking about it. And I said, I'll take the blame for it. Now, can we do what Paul says? Forget what happened and move on? And people said, sure. When they had somebody blame, it was great. I could take it. But let's go do what Christ wants us to do. Forgetting and straining. Anybody strain? Like when you're lifting in the gym or you hear, there's some people in the gym, you hear them like, guys like this. How many of your spiritual life is, Most of us are taking them little tiny weights going, mm, mm. I love Jesus. He loves me. Woo-hoo. Jesus loves me. Yay. We're not straining. And you wonder why we're weak and not strong in our faith. Because we're not straining. Strain. Give yourself a spiritual hernia. And press on to the goal. I can tell you anytime I run, anytime I'm in something, I want to stop. I want to stop halfway through. I start telling myself, hey, you know what? 30 minutes is better than 45. Guess what? 15 minutes will eat me better. You know what? Sitting at home eating a cheeseburger would be a lot better than all this mess. But guess what? If I want the results and I want to feel, but you know, when I'm, once I'm done doing that, there's a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of joy. And guess what? Here's the problem. Every day it starts again. Don't stop. Press on. Press on. If you've experienced what I've experienced, you will see what I see, Paul says. Paul saw a faithful God. He saw the goodness of God, and it lifted him to a higher spiritual plane. He's seen the unfaithfulness of men, and it turned against him. He came to Rome wanting to be a preacher, but he ended up there as a prisoner. So here's the deal. He says, lock me up. You can't shut me up. I'm pressing on. You can attach me to the best guards you got for 24-7. Guess what? I'm not going to stop till every single one of them knows Jesus Christ. Because when you've experienced what I've experienced, You can't be still. You can't be satisfied. You can be satisfied with what you have, but not what you've done for Christ. So I press on. I press on, and I press on, and I press on. 
God wants to speak to us here today through this and seeing the dangers of legalism and not getting distracted by the dung, the poop, the scuba of the world and missing out on the glory of the resurrected Lord. Don't get comfortable. He wants us to see not to get comfortable spiritually. If you're not dead, you're not done. God wants to do more through you by you pressing on, pressing on, and pressing on. For that last prize, he wants you to press on for the glorifying God in everything that you do. If you've experienced what I've experienced, you will see what I see. Now, today, today, as we're going to move to this prayer time, now, today, it's the time to see opportunities for us to lay down our lives for the glory of God through Christ Jesus and see what he wants us to see by experiencing what he has experienced. Amen? All right, let's stand on up. I'm going to ask for our seven ministers to come up, and we're going to be here to just pray with you. If your, your vision's cloudy, go ahead and, and begin to see through what God has called us to see. Let's bow our heads for a prayer here today. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us and that we'd all be different in your presence. And God, as we're praying today, it's my prayer that God would help you see something something in a different way for your life, for their lives. Maybe it's letting go of a human standard or false confidence. For some, it's helping you seem that you're distracted and living for things that really don't matter and you've got to let go of that scuba. You realize that God is showing you for others that you, you may be spiritually complacent. As you've been coasting, you're not straining. It's easy to be that way. But guess what? God wants to build a fire within you and get you to press on so that you can reach that goal for his glory. So God, I pray to you for everybody here that your Holy Spirit will minister truth in our souls and that we would be different. I pray for those who have been bound for years or maybe recently by legalism and they struggle because they feel like they can't live up to it. And guess what? You can't. But I pray that we would set free from these human standards. And stand to this world and recognize that we can only be made right through faith with your son, Jesus Christ. For those who are distracted by your Holy Spirit, bring clarity and help us to think like Jesus thought so we can live as he lived. Free us from those distractions. For anybody who's in a lukewarm state, that we put them hot and fiery on passion for you. Some of you may have a tremendous guilt and you just for the first time realized and thought that was God and for the first time in your life you're realizing that's not from God. But there are some things in your life that you're convicted of and you need to change in order to see God in a way that you've never seen Him before and see life in the way. In fact, there is a lot of those who you're here for this moment. You can sense it. You can see what you didn't see before and you need a Savior. Call on Him right now. He will forgive you. He will make you brand new. You know it. That's why you're here right today. So that's my prayer. My prayer is that you will pray this. I need Christ. Forgive me. Make me new. If any of that attained to any of you and you need to see clearly than you ever before, just lift your hand up right now. Lord God, I thank you for everybody with those hands lifted up and for everybody else here that you would minister to us in a way that your presence would become closer, that we will look at everything in life, all those things that are important and distracting, we will look at them and consider them all scubula, all rubbish, all loss for the sake of knowing you. 
So God, during this time, the altar's open. Help us not just stay where we are, but help us just step out as a sign of that faith that we have in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb that was saved for us. Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up. And all the world will praise your great
right. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. And all the one who gave it all. All right. You see, and hopefully you'll see things a little bit differently. Because if you've experienced what Paul's experienced, you see things differently. So I consider all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ my Lord. Amen. Amen. I pray that this has been, I've enjoyed this series so far. We got one more week. One more week. Next week is one. It's uh, the, right here. I've got the joy, 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 joy. What? Where? Okay, Where? there we go. So, and another part of joy, last week we mentioned that this past Monday, Wayne celebrated his, or not this Monday, next Monday, um, yeah, this Monday, <sighs> his 50th 40s, birthday. And while he was gone, many of us signed a card just saying, thank oh. you for all that you do, that's Wayne. A, that's a card? And, yeah. It's like a legal document or something. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, man. yeah, you've been served papers now that you're, uh, it's from AARP. Uh, there we go. All right, so we pray that you have an awesome week, and um, you can tell Wayne where the good uh, senior citizen discounts are. And um, so, but we're blessed to have him and everybody else up here, and we're blessed to have you. May you have a great week in Jesus, and just have an awesome time, and be careful stepping in Scabula. All right, have a great week.